Chapter Seven, Part Two of the General History of the Pirates, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Suzanne Houghton. The General History of the Pirates, Volume One, by Charles Johnson. Chapter Seven, Part Two. The Life of Mary Reed. Now we are to begin a history full of surprising turns and adventures. I mean that of Mary Reed and Anne Bonny, alias Bon, which were the true names of these two pirates. The odd incidents of their rambling lives are such that some may be tempted to think the whole story no better than a novel or romance. But since it is supported by many thousand witnesses, I mean the people of Jamaica, who were present at their trials and heard the story of their lives upon the first discovery of their sex. The truth of it can be no more contested than that there were such men in the world as Roberts and Blackbeard who were pirates. Mary Reed was born in England. Her mother was married young to a man who used the sea, who, going a voyage soon after their marriage, left her with child, which child proved to be a boy. As to the husband, whether he was cast away or died in the voyage, Mary Reed could not tell, but, however, he never returned more. Nevertheless, the mother, who was young and airy, met with an accident, which has often happened to women who are young and do not take a great deal of care, which was she soon proved with child again, without a husband to father it. But how or by whom, none but herself could tell, for she carried a pretty good reputation among her neighbors. Finding her burthen grow, in order to conceal her shame, she takes a formal leave of her husband's relations, giving out that she went to live with some friends of her own in the country. Accordingly, she went away and carried with her her young son, at this time not a year old. Soon after her departure, her son died. But Providence, in return, was pleased to give her a girl in his room, of which she was safely delivered, in her retreat, and this was our Mary Reed. Here the mother lived three or four years, till what money she had was almost gone. Then she thought of returning to London, and considering that her husband's mother was in some circumstances, she did not doubt but to prevail upon her to provide for the child, if she could but pass it upon her for the same. But the changing a girl into a boy seemed a difficult piece of work, and how to deceive an experienced old woman in such a point was altogether as impossible. However, she ventured to dress it up as a boy, brought it to town, and presented it to her mother-in-law as her husband's son. The old woman would have taken it to have bred it up, but the mother pretended it would break her heart to part with it. So it was agreed betwixt them the child should live with the mother, and the supposed grandmother should allow a crown a week for its maintenance. Thus the mother gained her point. She bred up her daughter as a boy, and when she grew up to some sense, she thought proper to let her into the secret of her birth, to induce her to conceal her sex. It happened that the grandmother died, by which means the subsistence that came from that quarter ceased, and they were more and more reduced in their circumstances. Wherefore she was obliged to put her daughter out to wait on a French lady as a footboy, being now thirteen years of age. Here she did not live long, for growing bold and strong, and having also a roving mind, she entered herself on board a man-of-war, where she served some time, then quitted it, went over into Flanders, and carried arms in a regiment of foot, as a cadet, 
and though upon all actions she behaved herself with a great deal of bravery, yet she could not get a commission, they being generally bought and sold. Therefore she quitted the service, and took on an regiment of horse. She behaved so well in several engagements, that she got the esteem of all her officers. But her comrade, who was a Fleming, happening to be a handsome young fellow, she falls in love with him, and from that time grew a little more negligent in her duty, so that it seems Mars and Venus could not be served at the same time. Her arms and accoutrements, which were always kept in the best order, were quite neglected. Tis true, when her comrade was ordered out upon a party, she used to go without being commanded, and frequently run herself into danger where she had no business, only to be near him. The rest of the troopers, little suspecting the secret cause which moved her to this behavior, fancied her to be mad, and her comrade himself could not account for this strange alteration in her. But love is ingenious, and as they lay in the same tent, and were constantly together, she found a way of letting him discover her sex, without appearing that it was done with design. He was much surprised at what he found out, and not a little pleased, taking it for granted that he should have a mistress solely to himself which is an unusual thing in a camp, since there is scarce one of those campaign ladies that is ever true to a troop or company, so that he thought of nothing but gratifying his passions with very little ceremony. But he found himself strangely mistaken, for she proved very reserved and modest, and resisted all his temptations, and at the same time was so obliging and insinuating in her carriage that she quite changed his purpose. So far from thinking of making her his mistress, he now courted her for a wife. This was the utmost wish of her heart. In short, they exchanged promises, and when the campaign was over, and the regiment marched into winter quarters, they bought woman's apparel for her, with such money as they could make up betwixt them, and were publicly married. The story of two troopers marrying each other made a great noise, so that several officers were drawn by curiosity to assist at the ceremony, and they agreed among themselves that every one of them should make a small present to the bride, towards housekeeping, in consideration of her having been their fellow-soldier. Thus being set up, they seemed to have a desire of quitting the service, and settling in the world. The adventure of their love and marriage had gained them so much favor that they easily obtained their discharge, and they immediately set up an eating-house, or ordinary, which was the sign of the three horseshoes, near the castle of Breda, where they soon run into a good trade, a great many officers eating with them constantly. But this happiness lasted not long, for the husband soon died, and the peace of Reswick being concluded, there was no resort of officers to Breda, as usual, so that the widow, having little or no trade, was forced to give up housekeeping, and her substance being by degrees quite spent, she again assumes her man's apparel, and going into Holland, there takes on in a regiment of foot, quartered in one of the frontier towns. Here she did not remain long, there was no likelihood of preferment in time of peace. Therefore she took a resolution of seeking her fortune another way, and withdrawing from the regiment ships herself on board of a vessel bound for the West Indies. It happened this ship was taken by English pirates, and Mary Reed was the only English person on board, they kept her amongst them, and having plundered the ship let it go again. After following this trade for some time the king's proclamation came out, and was published in all parts of the West Indies, for pardoning such pirates who should voluntarily surrender themselves by a certain day therein mentioned. The crew of Mary Reed took the benefit of this proclamation, and, having surrendered, lived quietly on shore. 
But money beginning to grow short, and hearing that Captain Woods Rogers, governor of the island of Providence, was fitting out some privateers to cruise against the Spaniards, she with several others embarked for that island in order to go upon the privateering account, being resolved to make her fortune one way or other. These privateers were no sooner sailed out, but the crews of some of them who had been pardoned rose against their commanders and turned themselves to their old trade. In this number was Mary Reed. It is true she often declared that the life of a pirate was what she always abhorred, and went into it only upon compulsion, both this time and before, intending to quit it, whenever a fair opportunity should offer itself. Yet some of the evidence against her, upon her trial, who were forced men and had sailed with her, deposed upon oath that in times of action no person amongst them were more resolute, or ready to board or undertake anything that was hazardous, as she and Anne Bonny and particularly at the time they were attacked and taken, when they came to close quarters, none kept the deck except Mary Reed and Anne Bonny, and one more upon which she, Mary Reed, called to those under deck to come up and fight like men, and finding they did not stir, fired her arms down the hold amongst them, killing one and wounding others. This was part of the evidence against her, which she denied, which, whether true or no, thus much is certain, that she did not want bravery nor indeed was she less remarkable for her modesty, according to her notions of virtue. Her sex was not so much as suspected by any person on board, till Anne Bonny, who was not altogether so reserved in point of chastity, took a particular liking to her. In short, Anne Bonny took her for a handsome young fellow, and for some reasons best known to herself, first discovered her sex to Mary Reed. Mary Reed knowing what she would be at, and being very sensible of her own incapacity that way, was forced to come to a right understanding with her. And so to the great disappointment of Anne Bonny, she let her know she was a woman also. But this intimacy so disturbed Captain Rackham, who was the lover and gallant of Anne Bonny, that he grew furiously jealous, so that he told Anne Bonny he would cut her new lover's throat, therefore to quiet him she let him into the secret also. Captain Rackham, as he was enjoined, kept the thing a secret from all the ship's company, yet notwithstanding all her cunning and reserve, love found her out in this disguise and hindered her from forgetting her sex. In their cruise they took a great number of ships belonging to Jamaica, and other parts of the West Indies, bound to and from England. And whenever they met any good artist or other person that might be of any great use to their company, if he was not willing to enter it was their custom to keep him by force. Among these was a young fellow of a most engaging behavior, or at least he was so in the eyes of Mary Reed, who became so smitten with his person and address that she could neither rest night or day. But, as there is nothing more ingenious than love, it was no hard matter for her, who had before been practiced in these wiles, to find a way to let him discover her sex. She first insinuated herself into his liking by talking against the life of a pirate, which he was altogether averse to, so they became messmates and strict companions. When she found he had a friendship for her, as a man, she suffered the discovery to be made by carelessly showing her breasts, which were very white. The young fellow who was made of flesh and blood had his curiosity and desire so raised by this sight that he never ceased importuning her till she confessed what she was. Now begins the scene of love. As he had a liking and esteem for her under her supposed character, it was now turned into fondness and desire. 
Her passion was no less violent than his, and perhaps she expressed it by one of the most generous actions that ever love inspired. It happened this young fellow had a quarrel with one of the pirates, and their ship then lying at an anchor near one of the islands they had appointed to go ashore and fight, according to the custom of the pirates. Mary Reed was to the last degree uneasy and anxious for the fate of her lover. She would not have had him refuse the challenge, because she could not bear the thoughts of his being branded with cowardice. On the other side, she dreaded the event, and apprehended the fellow might be too hard for him. When love once enters into the breast of one who has any sparks of generosity, it stirs the heart up to the most noble actions. In this dilemma she showed that she feared more for his life than she did for her own. For she took a resolution of quarreling with this fellow herself, and having challenged him ashore, she appointed the time two hours sooner than that when he was to meet her lover, where she fought him at sword and pistol and killed him upon the spot. It is true she had fought before, when she had been insulted by some of those fellows, but now it was altogether in her lover's cause she stood as it were betwixt him and death, as if she could not live without him. If he had no regard for her before, this action would have bound him to her forever. But there was no occasion for ties or obligations. His inclination towards her was sufficient. In fine, they applied their troth to each other, which Mary Reed said she looked upon to be as good a marriage in conscience as if it had been done by a minister in church. And to this was owing her great belly, which she pleaded to save her life. She declared she had never committed adultery or fornication with any man. She commended the justice of the court, before which she was tried, for distinguishing the nature of their crimes. Her husband, as she called him, with several others being acquitted, and being asked who he was, she would not tell, but said he was an honest man and had no inclination to such practices, and that they had both resolved to leave the pirates the first opportunity and apply themselves to some honest livelihood. It is no doubt, but many had compassion for her. Yet the court could not avoid finding her guilty, for, among other things, one of the evidences against her deposed that being taken by Rackham and detained some time on board, he fell accidentally into discourse with Mary Reed, whom he, taking for a young man, asked her what pleasure she could have in being concerned in such enterprises where her life was continually in danger by fire or sword, and not only so, but she must be sure of dying an ignominious death if she should be taken alive. She answered that as to hanging she thought it no great hardship, for were it not for that every cowardly fellow would turn pirate, and so infest the seas that men of courage must starve, that if it was put to the choice of the pirates they would not have the punishment less than death, the fear of which kept some dastardly rogues honest, that many of those who are now cheating the widows and orphans and oppressing their poor neighbors, who have no money to obtain justice, would then rob at sea and the ocean would be crowded with rogues like the land, and no merchant would venture out, so that the trade in a little time would not be worth following. Being found quick with child, as has been observed, her execution was respited, and it is possible she would have found favor. But she was seized with a violent fever soon after her trial, of which she died in prison. End of chapter 7, part 2